My name is Tyler. And I'm Oren. And welcome to the Horror Pod Class, everybody. Thanks for sticking around for the show. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I will, um, this yeah, one's on you, buddy. Yeah. Uh, the, I, I look forward to this movie that we will get to in a minute um, for a long, long time under the misguided impression that, like, 16-year-old Tyler really knew what the hell 16-year-old Tyler was talking about. <laughs> and I'm here to assure you, he does not. No. Uh, nor does 43-year-old Tyler, but it's fine. Hey, uh, so, yeah, those of you that are new to the programming tonight, uh, we are a once-a-month podcast that is essentially broken into three different acts. Uh, the first act, we like to call Extra Credit. Extra yeah, Credit, that's did, what yes, we're calling We're calling it Extra Credit now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't we, have a title for just like named four and a half years. So <laughs> welcome to the first episode that the first act actually has a title called Extra Credit, where we're going to tell you about some stuff that we uh, are excited about this yeah. month. Yeah. Uh, then we will move on to Act 2, which is where we will uh, propose and theoretically answer our essential question uh, about the movie. We will certainly talk a lot. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely, we will do that. Because we... It's not going to be singing the praises of this movie. <laughs> Although I would hope that we don't slag on this movie like the whole time. But... No, I've got a lot of other stuff to talk about. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, third act, uh, we like to call Four Corners. We will give you some recommendations on some films uh, that share uh, a little DNA, vague DNA, maybe. Uh, yours are really good this time, honestly. I, I'm excited about them. Uh, I, I was excited about this movie, too, so uh, <laughs> take all of that with a giant grain of salt. But uh, next slide, uh, please. Okay, uh, talk to us what uh, you have some really interesting stuff on here this month. Yeah, so... Um as it happens, I just read um, The Case Against Satan, which is a book by Ray Russell. Um, for those who don't know, Ray Russell was a you know, novelist and short story writer, but he also wrote a bunch of screenplays, including uh, a number of the like Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe movies. He wrote uh, Mr. Sardonicus, some other uh, horror screenplays from like the 60s. Uh, and this novel is also from the 60s, uh, which means it predates Exorcist by about 10 years, like eight, I think, actually, years. Um, and that's really weird because it's super similar to The Exorcist. That's cool. Um, like, it's a, an exorcism novel. It's about a young priest and an old priest. Like, it's very weirdly uh, similar to The Exorcist, but, like, where it goes is very different. Um, but it's really good. It's really short. I read it in, like, a day. Um, there's a Penguin uh, Classics version that has an introduction by Laird Barron nice. that's pretty easily easy to find. So um, I didn't use that cover. I used the like old like, 1960s it's very cool salacious cover. looking yeah, cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's it's a really good book. Um, and then uh, the other thing I want to talk about is just um, Arrow just released a uh, like ridiculous box set of um, Coffin Joe movies called Inside the Mind of Coffin Joe. Uh, and Coffin Joe was uh, this character played by the same actor who's also the director of the movies it was in the first ever Brazilian horror film I want to say from like 1964 but then like kept making movies with the same character until like I think the latest one is like from 2004 or wow. something it's wild I, I know nothing what kind of character is Coffin Joe Coffin Joe is this 
he's like an undertaker who is obsessed with achieving immortality by like impregnating the right woman. Oh, all right. Um, like you do, you know. Um, and uh, they're very weird, very mean-spirited, bizarre movies. Um, and I'm not through the box set entirely yet, but uh, it's a very weird, interesting box set, and there's nothing else quite like it. So I'll have to go. Uh, and I would assume they're not all, like, canon, right? Like, if I don't see the 1963 Coffin Joe, the so, 2004 will still make sense. So it's very weird. There's three of them that tell a continuous story. There's the first two and then like the one from like the 2000s. And okay. they tell a continuous story. All the ones in between are like weird things that just have Coffin Joe in them. Like a couple of them are anthologies where he's sort of the introducer kind of, like the crypt keeper of them oh, and stuff. Oh, okay. All very right. weird. Very weird stuff. I don't know. This, this sounds like fun. Sounds like yeah. a, a good way to spend an evening. Yeah. Uh, so I've got a couple of things I would like to talk about. Um, first and foremost, brand new uh, Blu-ray just came out. From Second Sight, those of you that are familiar with the show, uh, Second Sight is my favorite kind of boutique uh, Blu-ray dealer. And uh, their new release of High Tension is fantastic because not only is it just a beautiful copy of the film that also has a whole bunch of commentaries that are incredible, but it kind of leans in to the problematic nature of the film. I like High Tension, but I've read enough criticism <laughs> to know that liking High Tension itself is a little fraught. Uh, but uh, they have a couple of, I think, really great kind of uh, like video analyses, right? Video examinations of how the film can be read in a way that isn't uh, terribly homophobic or um, add some insight, some interesting queer insight into a film that uh, is not necessarily known. Yeah, yeah not, uh, not known for that exactly. In, in that. But yeah, it's a great release with all kinds of stuff. And then, entirely by accident, like on a random like Wednesday when I was stuck at home with the kids because it was so cold or whatever, I snuck downstairs and I was looking for stuff on Tubi, and uh, I read the description of Beyond the Door 3, and I kind of have a soft spot for folk horror, and wow it is a way better film than it has any right to be uh it is definitely better than i know what you did last summer but uh <laughs> it is weird and leans into this kind of uh like balkan like serbian quasi transylvanian like druidic mythology uh but yeah i really really dug it and um it was not very long it was like 77 or 78 minutes long uh, I immediately texted Oren. Yeah, he's I, got... I watched it like two days later. So, yeah, did you yeah. did you like it? It was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was a lot of fun. Um, I found uh, again, I, I found the the better cover with the better title, um, a mock a mock train, which I like uh, much better than Beyond the Door Three. Um, so yeah, it, it interesting. You don't need to have seen Beyond the Door One or Two. No, not at all. Um, because uh -uh. the Beyond the Door series are all unrelated movies that just got slapped with the Beyond the Door title. Yeah. Uh, the second one is uh, better known as Shock, which was Mario Bava's last film. Nice. Um, I, I didn't even know that. See, so. I, like I picked something <laughs> that was good by accident. Um, the <laughs> shit that I pick intentionally is god awful. So yeah. Uh, all of that being said, next slide, please. The question we are going to answer tonight is, I know what you did last summer, a Jallo film. Specifically, an American Jallo film. Right. When they hear over the radio that this lunatic killer's escaped from an insane asylum. That's not the way it goes. The boy goes for help and the girl stays in the car and she hears this, like, scratching sound. No, he's been decapitated. No, he was gutted with a hook. Ah! 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 
second, Little Miss Prelaw. What's the charge for manslaughter? We make a pact. Right here and now we take the Sar grave. For the last year, four friends have kept a secret. Are you on drugs? No. Well, then what is wrong? I've had a rough year. But not all secrets stay buried. Somebody sent this to me. Oh, my God. Someone knows. I know what you did last summer. Ooh. What they thought would be a new beginning. Toast to us. Is becoming a dead end. Somebody tried to kill you last night. We have to go to the police. If you wanted me dead, he could have done it. And the mistake they made. It was an accident. There was no accident. It was murder. What if he's still alive? Hey! What are you doing here? Is coming back to haunt them. Oh, my God. He's after me, too. I got a letter. I got run over. Helen gets her hair chopped off. Ah! Julie gets a body in a trunk, and you get a letter? That's balanced. She's waiting for us to unravel. <laughs> the wait is over. What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? Summer. <gasps> it is not there. I answered the question. <laughs> you can all go home. <laughs> no. uh, next slide. Before I attempt to make the argument that it most definitely is, uh, we have some stuff to give away. We have so, some stuff to give away, and we're going to run through probably some tickets that are not here, but we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, da, 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 da. all right. Is 046 here? I'm going to assume going. not. How about 042? All right. 045. We'll keep going. We got 044. We'll get to them eventually. We have to. Right. They're going to be literally they have the last tickets. two. Uh, 047? Right here. All right. Yay. All right. Yeah. All right. So you win our first batch of weird shit, which is an R.L. Stein book. Nice. Uh, some like weird knockoff of I know you did last summer called Do You Want to Know a Secret? Last summer, <laughs> which has um, Joey Lawrence in it. Oh shit! Nice. Uh, a Blue Warrior Creep Show, oh, a Goosebumps sweet. book, and uh, like Psycho inspired shower. Oh my god! Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All kinds of good stuff. All kinds of good stuff. I had a ticket from last month in here, so I think you did call my number. So <laughs> well, well, guess what? You'll I get th- you'll get the next one. I think Regardless. you might get the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why do I have zero two nine? That's so far. <laughs> we had a lot of people here you didn't notice. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You uh you're gonna win in two thousand twenty seven. Just hold yeah. on, just hold on. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> okay. So before I attempt to make a fool of myself and justify why it is a jallo, uh I had to specifically ask my co host, who is the one with all of the knowledge and all of the taste, uh, what exactly is a jallo? So We'll get into a lot more about this, but if I, like, in my attempt to come up with a way to have a rubric for this at all, yeah, um, I basically boiled it down to uh, a Jallo is essentially a stylish murder mystery that has a high body count and a lot of bloody kill scenes. That's... And if we left it at that, then right. I think my argument right. would be very easy, uh, although 
you and I could have a big argument about whether or not this film is stylish. Uh, <laughs> Boy, couldn't we. It, it, it exists <laughs> in a style. I'm not sure we can call that style stylish. Uh-huh. But uh, I much prefer your other definition, and Andrew will get us uh, that one in the next slide. So yeah, I, I took, instead of just copying it, I took an actual screen cap because That's I wanted good. to prove that I tweeted this in 2022, way before we were ever talking about this bullshit. That's that's true. <laughs> that uh, I, I tweeted that it's only a giallo if it comes from the giallo region of Italy, otherwise it's just sparkling murder. I'm not even confident this one's sparkling murder. It might just be normal murder. Oh, but, yeah. It's know. like it's like natty light it's like murder. Flat, yeah, murder. like it is, it is uh, rough. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, hams maybe. I could, I could see it being hams. Uh, but yeah, and 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 to that end, I will I will say like, what we're essentially going to do, whatever Tyler says, <laughs> what we're essentially going to the 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 agreement we're basically going to come to is that I'm not, I'm not confident that calling something a giallo that is not specifically from Italy and specifically from a specific period of time is useful. Yeah. I'm not sure it's inaccurate. Like, I'm not necessarily going to argue that it isn't a giallo, but I'm not sure calling it one is helpful. Like, yeah, I'm not sure it, it get conveys any information that is useful to anyone, which we'll get to a little bit more when I kind of argue about giallos and film noirs later. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at with the tweet. Um, yeah, in no, a, in I, a, you know, jocular fashion. But I, I think it makes sense, especially <laughs> in this next slide, as we talk about, like, kind of... Uh, the history and all of the importance behind all of that, right? So, like, it's it's an Italian word for yellow, yeah. and, and that's essentially, by definition, what it is. Yep, yeah. So the, the word giallo just means yellow um, in Italian. It was named for uh, a series of um, these books that were put out in, uh, I want to say, yeah, starting in 1929, and they ran through, like, the 70s that were called uh, Il Giallo Mondadori, um, which were published by a publishing house called Mondadori, and they were just they were named that because they had yellow covers. There's a picture here. All of them had yellow covers that used the same style. They had like a circle with the art in it in the middle. They look awesome. They look though. great, yeah, right? Those I, are too I want cool. some. They're super cool. Um, and they were mostly not even original stuff. They were reprints of like uh, British and American crime writers, um, so like, uh, you know, like hardball detective fiction, so like right. Raymond Chandler and that kind of stuff, but also like um, Edgar Wallace, who we'll talk about a little bit more later, um, and just a, a bunch of like those kind of like crime writers. And so the books themselves were all over the place as far as like tone. There was like, you know, serial killer stuff, but there was also like jewel heists and things like, I mean, you know, just they, they weren't, uh, they were not all what Jallo movies are, um, but the the connection between that kind of like salacious crime stuff yeah. is where the the name stuck from. Yeah. Well, and, and my knowledge, right, uh, of Jello is is much much smaller than yours. But like, that's more or less how I understood them to be. Essentially, yeah. uh, kind of gory whodunits that uh, had a weird kind of tendency to them. Yeah. Uh, it was often an excuse to. Uh, Show a lot of boobs, yep. uh, and you know, like at the end of the day, uh, sometimes that's what you need. Sometimes yep. that's what you want. It's uh, it's comfort and, and pretty good. I yep. will tell you, there's a really lengthy conversation that we have about Jallo in our malignant episode because 
uh, I believe you were the one making the argument in that episode that Malignant was pretty close to... Uh, it's certainly influenced by, I yeah. would argue, yeah. In, in like, a much more direct way than, <laughs> than uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer. So, uh, so yeah, so we'll... Um, right on to the next... Yeah. So, so yeah. style and substance. Uh, a thing that I would say... Uh, the last movie we watched probably doesn't have a ton of, <laughs> but uh, are important to what a Jallo yeah. film is. So when it comes to talking about Jallo, and if you like talk to people online, like people have really fucking strong opinions about this, which is part of why we thought it would be funny <laughs> to have this conversation because like there are definitely going to be people who are mad that we even suggested a oh. connection between the two. Yeah, to be fair, this feels more like an action of trolling than yeah. probably actual yeah. advocacy. But um, but like when you talk to people online or when you talk to people who are really into Jallo, um, they will they will basically define it one of two ways. They'll either define it by its by its substance, essentially like it is essentially a uh, like it's essentially a murder mystery. It's a whodunit. Um, the protagonist is usually an outsider of some kind, like a foreigner, uh, most often, um, who becomes em- embroiled in a series of murders, um, and the killer's motives are usually uh, psychosexual or psychological in some way. Like, um, the, the killer's motives are not merely to cover up a crime or to, uh, or to you know, uh, get revenge or something. They are they are motivated partly by pathology. Yeah, I was going to say, I, the ones I've seen, like, yeah. it's mostly just, like, uh, the explanation is like a wave of hand at the end. Like right. he was a sexual deviant. A lot of times, right. a lot of times they also are like, or they start out covering up a crime or, or something, but then like they keep doing it because they're because of some kind of pathology. Right. Um, and so those are, those are kind of the, the substance arguments. And then the other people will argue that it's a style thing where like what makes a giallo is not what it's about, but how it's about it. Um, which is, you know, like uh, the the killers, famously black gloved, uh, often shown in point of view shots. Uh, Jello movies tend to use like really vivid colors, uh, really stylish camera work, and so forth. Really distinctive scores. Very famously, Dario Argento's movies, most famously, just very, very, you know, very good scores. Um, and they tend to have kind of a heightened reality, like a dreamlike reality to them. They don't tend to follow. Like cinema verite, right? Or strictly whatever, conventional, right. Um, you know, structure. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. also yeah, a lot of nudity. Yeah, you gotta Just have gotta have all that nudity. Fucking scads, like depending on the movie, but yeah, like strip nude for your killer or torso or something. Just shit tons of nudity. <laughs> but, but what I think is important when we examine Jallos is that like they are just a snapshot of a period of time, right? right. And. I think that this movie that we just watched is kind of like that, a snapshot of a period of time. It is certainly that. And, uh, like, it, we can talk in great depth about, like, Jennifer Love Hewitt coming from that kind of uh, teeny bopper, you know, drama in much the same way Nev Campbell did and all that kind of jazz. But all of the snapshots kind of form a timeline. And as we go here, uh, yeah, as we go to the next slide, uh, it didn't start, didn't start, you know, with Jallo film, yeah. it really started long before that. Yeah, and again, this even this timeline is is limited by the amount of space I had. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it goes back at least as far as the Grand Guignol, which started in 1897, which was a Parisian theater that put on um, famously lurid and violent horror plays. 
often involving you know torture and people getting bloodily murdered right on stage. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, um, it ran until like the fifties, actually. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I'd go see it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Be dope. Uh, which then sort of gave rise to uh, what were called weird menace pulps. And weird menace pulps basically grew out of detective pulps, and they were kind of like like midway between a detective novel and a horror novel, or a horror story. And so, like, they were often, like, women, you know, getting kidnapped by weird maniacs and, like, tortured or, or whatever, or they usually weren't supernatural. They weren't never, but they, like, had a lot of cults in them or, yeah. or weird religious things or whatever. Um, and they were, like, this very popular subset of, you know, pulp novels. Um, dime mystery no, uh, pulps were the, the most famous ones, but there were a bunch. I, I love the idea of the weird menace. Yeah. And especially as we know, I think we have some writer friends that kind of write, uh, like, new weird uh, yeah. detective novels. So, like, uh, like think hard-boiled detective, but like has to confront like Cthulhu or, right. you know, like whatever. Yeah. And, uh, kind of brings things I think full circle, yeah. which I think is really cool. Um, and then so the weird menace pulps kind of, uh, fed into the rise of these movies called, uh, creamies or crimeys. I don't know. They're German. I don't know how you say it. Uh, which were, they weren't actually all German, but the word comes from German, but they were, uh, all adaptations initially of this writer named Edgar Wallace, who was an English writer, who wrote a bunch of like really fucked up crime stories? So like again, they were they were not supernatural, but like there were lots of like again weird cults and people with really weird motives and like they would you know chain people to giant bells and shit like just bizarre <laughs> shit. Um, and these Death by bell. these were really popular um, and got turned into a, this whole string of very popular movies um, that ran. Uh, they actually started, like, as far back as the 1920s, but the ones that were specifically called crimeys uh, were, like, 1959-ish. Uh, probably the most famous of those, like, that people might have heard of is Dead Eyes of London, which has a young Klaus Kinski in it. Okay. Um, and then, like, those then kind of gave rise to the Giallo to some extent. Um, those and Hitchcock, basically. Like, if you combine Hitchcock and those crimey movies, you essentially get Giallos. Um, and then the Giallos, in turn, gave rise to the slasher, uh, which is a distinctly American, or at least initially, um, subgenre that was basically, you know, derived from the Giallo, yeah. in, in essence. Next um, slide. Yeah. I think we can all agree. <laughs> the film we just watched is pretty firmly rooted in the slasher, Absolutely. you know, yeah. roots, the slasher, aesthetic, the, you know, whatever yeah. you want to call it. So, And it definitely is a move, and I think we'll talk about this a little bit more in, in indirectly, that it is definitely the beginning or part of the beginning of a new movement in the slasher film. Absolutely. I think you've called, uh, coined it like the, the second... Uh, uh, the second slasher renaissance, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, which was kicked off by Scream, but this was like... Literally the next year after Scream, yeah. so... Well, and that, um, I mean, that is the the sad thing. <laughs> this movie, I think, uh, earns its poor reputation because it is like, if you drained all of the intelligence and all of the stuff that made the Scream movies, like, the actual second renaissance, right? They're smart, they're self-reflexive, they're... Uh, interesting you know like and uh this movie in much the same way that like uh friday the 13th and you know some of those other uh slashers that came after halloween uh are trying to replicate it or trying yeah. to reproduce it in a 
really poor facsimile. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, just quick like sort of uh, touch on the sort of the Jello versus the slasher. So the first, the first official Jello um, that most people count is uh, a 1963 movie called um, The Girl Who Knew Too Much, which is itself a play on the title of a Alfred Hitchcock, uh, The Man Who Knew Too Much, um, which sort of set the the style and the the template for the Jello that would come later and it was a Mario Baba uh, film um, the first slasher is debatable uh, a yeah. lot of people place it at Halloween but like that's clearly not the case because Black Christmas came out before Halloween and if Black Christmas isn't a slasher what is it yeah that's fair um, so you know where where the slasher really originated is up for some debate but the sort of the movie that Codified the slasher, I think, is actually probably the original Friday the Thirteenth, which kind of gave us the template that the slasher would mostly follow going forward, more so than Halloween did. Yeah, I, um, I, I don't know. I think it'd be a much easier argument to make uh, that aesthetically, Black Christmas is definitely more of that Jello aesthetic. Yeah. Like it's got really vibrant colors. Mm-hmm. It's relatively lurid. It takes it's place very in lurid, a, yeah. you know, like <laughs> it takes place in a sorority house, and you know, yep. there's. Uh, all kinds of dirty talk, you know? Like, there certainly on. is that. Yeah, uh, I, I buy it. Um, what's the difference? Yeah, so what's the difference between a slasher and a jello? Go on, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of them. These are kind of the few I've pulled out, which is that um, slashers tended to focus on young victims. Their victims were usually high schoolers or college kids, often played by 30-year-olds, but ostensibly, you know, younger. Um, whereas Jallos tended to take place among adults. They tended to focus on people who were you know, professionals with careers and things like that. Um, Interesting. Less of a morality play, then. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the slasher often um, relies on some kind of fabricated urban legend that yeah. is tying the slasher to an event that happened in the past. So, like... You know, with uh, Halloween, it's Michael Myers killing his sister when he was a kid. With a Friday the 13th, it's the drowning of Jason. Um, you know, all these different things where, where the the event that causes all this has become a kind of um, campfire story. Sure. By the time that the, by the, time the I mean, they literally place. tell the story at a campfire. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then the, the probably the most important distinction between most Jallos and most slashers, most early slashers specifically, is um, what's called a, the corpse scene, which is that in most slashers, the people who are being slashed don't actually know it. They are being picked off one by one, and no one finds the bodies who is alive until near the very end. Um, this obviously is not the case with the sequels to like Friday the 13th and... and Halloween as much, but like most of the early slashers, like the original Friday the 13th, the original Halloween, My Bloody Valentine, etc., people don't find the bodies right away. They get killed, and then their body disappears, and then people know they're missing, but they don't know what happened to them, or they don't even necessarily always notice they're missing. Yeah. Um, because like Friday the 13th happens over like one night. Yeah. Um, and so. Probably the best example I can think of that is one of my favorite slashers, which means 
Uh, it's probably <laughs> terrible. Uh, it is um, a slasher called April Fool's Day. Yeah. And like, I love April there, Fool's Day. there is a very deliberate, like, look at what I've done, you right. know? And yeah. uh, maybe that's part of the reason why I love it. Um, but yeah, and this means that most slashers, if they're whodunits for the audience, they're not for the characters. The characters right. aren't aware they're in a murder mystery. Right. Whereas in the Giallo, they're very self-consciously are. Mm-hmm. Like, they're aware they're investigating a murder, um, and the investigation is the meat of the plot. Yeah. Strange things are afoot. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's the, the biggest difference, which is yeah. where we come to yeah. the, the slasher renaissance. Because with Scream, we kicked off a new wave of slashers that, you know, ran through the 90s into the early 2000s, kind of still running in a yeah, haphazard that, that fashion. That new Scream's never coming out, man. <laughs> like, there's no way. Uh-uh. Um, but, uh, and this, I think, is where we come the closest to coming back to the Jalo. Because right, these right. new ones, including the one we just watched, albeit badly, are whodunits. The people do know they're being they're being hunted. They do know there's a killer afoot. They do know who's doing it. They find a body immediately. Like in Scream, the first kill, the Casey Becker kill, everyone knows about the next day. Yeah. There's no there's no corpse scene. There's no uh, scene where, oh, the final girl suddenly knows she's in danger. She knows she's in danger the whole time. Yep. And it's a methodology of trying to figure out who among usually her friend group is doing it. Yeah. Who, who is the killer. That, um, that sense of, uh, I, I think in, in our sequel episodes, we've talked about in modern slashers, there's this inherent kind of paranoia yeah. that drives it, that makes it uniquely American and of that age. Uh, but yeah, it yeah. definitely feels more um, like a series of clues that you're trying yeah. to decipher. Which is fundamentally one of the many reasons, many reasons, why I know you did last summer is not as good because there aren't any people to pick from. Yeah. There are literally there, like five characters in the entire movie. Yeah, there are two red herrings. Uh, <laughs> one of them they kill in the first 40 minutes. It's, it's like, oh shit. It's literally right. the first body. Yeah. yeah, and then the other one, I like, does anybody in this movie other than Jennifer Love You in the last 10 minutes think Freddie Prince Jr. is the one dressing up as a fisherman? Right. Come and, on, man. Uh, I think they make a vague attempt at making Anne Hesh maybe a, yeah, maybe. a red herring, except, Which that is she's, really tragic. except that she's like a foot and a half too short yeah, um, to be the fisherman. <laughs> and like, uh, God rest her soul, she's like an interesting actress that did interesting things, and they throw her here, and it's like, woof. it's rough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's rough. It's, I mean, it, no one comes out of the sunscathe. But. Yeah, but but also the casting of her, and then uh, David Galecki, right, uh, <laughs> as the townie that's also, uh, like, I don't know what he's doing or the, what they want him to do, but it's like, is he a, a nerd fisherman townie? Yeah. I got nothing. He's, he's one of the four people who live in this town. What? Yeah, well, three now because uh, you know he gets uh, gets that hook pretty early. So, right away. Okay, uh, your next slide is a discussion of Jallo and film noir. So this was actually a late edition. I wasn't originally going to. I wasn't originally going to include this, but I was thinking about it, and I think this feeds into my my sort of position on what a Jallo is, which okay. again. So the reason for this is like, so film noir is very specifically both a stylistic thing. Like you can, you can tell what film noir looks like, what it's about, what its themes are, et cetera. Sure. You can break it down by style and substance like we did with the Giallo. Buy it completely. But fundamentally, you never call a movie a film noir unless it's from the first half of the century. 
Okay. Like we don't we don't call movies that came out last year film noirs ever. People call them neo noirs. Right. Um, we never use that term because the term itself is tied to that moment in history. Oh, I think that's fair. Okay. And in a similar way, I think that use, the usefulness of Giallo is largely tied to that moment in history. To call something that came out last year a Giallo is probably going to confuse people. It probably won't give them helpful information. If you tell them it's Giallo-inspired, I sure. think that will give them better information. So what I'm hearing right, <laughs> is that we need to call this movie a Neo-Giallo. Sure. Right? <laughs> or what I thought you were going to tell me with this slide that uh, I know what you did last summer is really film noir. Yeah, definitely not that. <laughs> Which it's, it's not. I was going to love. Uh, it's not that. I did, there, there is some smoking of cigarettes. There uh, is a little bit of smoking of cigarettes, which uh, is important. Yeah, that's that's all uh, from film noir that I could uh, pick um, out, So it, I, did, I did put a note, and I think it's interesting, that um, the film noir was also named after a book series that also reprinted American and British crime novels, Dude. only in French this time. Um, All the, cool uh, shit starts yeah, there. Then. The the uh, series noir, which were uh, these French books that reprinted essentially the same book, the same stories that the Giallo books would eventually reprint. I like it. Two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Perhaps a coin that spins right before you. <laughs> what the fuck was with that thing? Like they kept showing it, and you couldn't could, read what it said. And I, I even when I was preparing for this episode, I'm like, I'm gonna find a screen cap of what. Uh, n- nothing. I, I think it says I love you, but like I couldn't swear to that. Yeah, because the other side says something else. Right? Uh, and I'm like, I don't know uh, what the yeah. point of that whole thing was. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I got nothing. Yeah. Okay. So the saving grace of this, right? Uh, when we were putting this all together, I'm like, oh, this movie is so terrible. I am sorry that we programmed it. And Oren's like, I got something that will save it. I found the book versions of these movies, yes. and I'm going to read them. So, yes, the person the the person we don't know who it will be who will win the other giveaway was actually going to win a copy of the book. Oh, I actually shit. happened to find a copy with the shitty, like, movie tie-in cover of the original novel. Um, That's impressive. Yeah. The novel is from 1973. So the novel predates the, bo- the movie by a considerable amount. Um, it's actually basically the first uh, YA suspense novel, which we'll talk a little bit more about, like in a slide or two. But um, you know, stuff like Fear Street, all the R.L. Stein, like slightly more grown up than Goosebumps books that he wrote that were about like you know babysitters getting stalked by people and shit. All that shit starts basically with I know what you did last summer in 1973. I love it. Um, you found the first Fear Street novel, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, like right. again, there's there's some wiggle room there, but pretty damn close. Um, so give us the, the the nuts and bolts. What are the similarities? What are the big differences? Okay. Give us the Cliff's Notes version of I Know What You Did Last Summer. Okay, so Lois Duncan was the writer. Um, she has a really interesting uh, and kind of tragic life story, too. But um, So she wrote the book uh, and fucking hated the movie. She lived to see the movie, hated it. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, shocking. Shocking, I know. Um, the, the weird thing is like the, the characters are mostly the same. There's a couple of minor changes. Um, but for the most part, like, uh, Helen, uh, what's her name? Oh. The actress, the blonde actress. Oh, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar? Sarah Michelle Gellar's yeah. character is the poor one in the book rather okay. than, rather than Ray. Um, but stuff like that. But like, there's, there's minor changes. But like, for the most part, the four characters are essentially the same. 
and they did hit someone with their car uh, the summer before and covered up, or rather, just not tell anyone about it. They didn't. They didn't go to quite the the idiotic lengths that they did in the movie. Um, but the key difference is in who they hit. In the book, they hit a ten year old kid. I believe he's ten. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Fundamentally changes the yeah. the, the story. Um, Much and they, darker. They don't stop. They just they hit and run. They drive to the nearest phone booth because we didn't have cell phones in 1973. They call it in anonymously, and then they go home. Um, and they don't tell anyone about it. They don't tell anyone they did it. They don't tell anybody about it. He ultimately dies. Uh, it is not it is not revealed at the end that he in fact was the slasher, a ten year old kid the whole time. Um, <laughs> There is, in fact, no slasher. That's the other key difference. Uh, no one dies meaningfully except that kid. Uh, it's not It's not him knocking them off. It's basically just him stalking them. It's like him sending them notes. He does shoot one of them, uh, the, the guy, but they don't die. Uh, Barry's character, instead of getting hit by a car, he gets shot. Okay. Um, but he lives. Uh, and it's, it's just peril. It's never actually, like, the guy does plan to kill them. He's right. around to it. Um, he's he's toying with them first and just gets caught eventually before he finishes toying, um, and the 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 villain in the book is the kid's older brother, yeah. like older half brother, who is fresh back from Vietnam, where he cracked. That's how the book describes it, um, and this gives the book a kind of like criticism of the Vietnam War element that is obviously absent from the movie since there was no there Vietnam no War. There is no subtext <laughs> to this particular film, so yeah. Um, but yeah, like, and so those are the key differences. The other one being that since they didn't kill anyone as aggressively quite, like they did call and everything, their crime in the book, to the extent that the book has a moral, is that they tried to hide it. They didn't, they didn't face it. Right. They needed to have faced what they did. And so that makes the ending of the movie a particular kick in the teeth by comparison to the book, where they're like, no, no, we didn't do anything. We have no yeah, idea yeah, why this guy would have uh, tried to kill us. Okay, yeah, crazy. I'm good. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, Sexual deviant. That's yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. Okay, um, so I, I like the way that you have crafted tonight's presentation, right? Because you're like, it's not a Jallo. Maybe it's film noir. <laughs> Maybe it's, and I think this is probably as we move to the next slide, Andrew. The thing that I can live with the most is really this is a poor babysitter in peril Fear Street novel. Yeah, essentially. Okay. Like crossed with a slasher, basically. Okay. Like again, the 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 Fear Street novels, the babysitter in peril novels, they typically have very low body counts. They have a body count of, like, one or two, usually, like, at most. Um, but, you know, be up it for a slasher, and you've got essentially this movie. Yeah, right? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think that that feels like a natural place to move into. Uh, next slide. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. So I, Always I, wonderful. I fucking love these things. There, there's not, as far as I know, an official name for what I call babysitter in peril novels. Um, I think they're just called, like, YA suspense. Yeah. Is the only, like, there's not an equivalent of, like, Jallo or Slasher or whatever. But they are similar enough that, like, you can you can describe their formula sure. more or less. And so on. But, like, there were a million of them. I have, I think I counted up, I have, like, 70 or 80 of them myself, and I've just picked them up at thrift stores. Yeah. Um, there are so many of them, and they're, like, 
these are all the ones in this picture are all from one publisher. They're all point horror. They're, they're like one publisher specifically. I dig that. There were so many of these, um, and like they were super popular and they just disappeared. Right, like there's no equivalent of them now. Yeah, they kind of think they got like crowded <laughs> out by goosebumps and that kind of stuff, which is you know goosebumps right. is great. So, all right, we come down to the final question before we end Act Two here. Yeah, so, before we actually get to answering this, we can go on to the next slide if you want. But before we, what the hell made you make this argument in the first place? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think when I, uh, in my mind, all right, I made the argument like uh, six weeks ago, two months ago, we were starting to plan it. I was like, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that sounds right. And I remember a few things about this movie that were wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chief amongst them being that it was uh, halfway decent. But, like, I remember the colors being more vibrant. uh, And I will contend uh, my biggest, best argument here is this killer in the movie looks like a killer in the Jallo film. He does, yeah. Like, we got a big cape. Uh, he doesn't have black gloves, but, like, he's got a hat, and essentially he's faceless right. in all the Jallo films that I, I know and love. Like, they don't have a face, yeah. you know, when they're discovering him. So I think I saw all those things, and I'm like, sure, I can make that argument. And I'm going to continue to make that argument because uh, there are a couple of moments in this film that have very vibrant neon blood, which I think is a hallmark uh, of Jallos. Um, it does have a relatively high body count. It does, yeah. Uh, it's gruesome, okay? All of that being said, it has no nudity. No, uh, no you were lying about the nudity. I know, it was a big <laughs> bummer. The best uh, we get nudity-wise is the scene at the very end. I will say, though, in my uh, like reading about this film to prepare, like... The the director was not particularly helpful, and I think Jennifer Love Hewitt suffered as a result. He would, like, shout things like, you have to be sexier! And she was, like, at the time, relatively close to the age of her character, and, like, didn't really know what that meant, right? <laughs> and, like, uh, as a result of that, I think through 90% of this movie, like, we have absolutely no idea who she is. Like, I don't, do we meet her parents? We meet her mom. Yeah, real briefly, though. I think her dad's dead. Like, she Maybe. looks she looks sadly at his photo at one point when she's after she said she had a bad year. I think maybe he died and it like didn't make it into the final cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, but uh, also like what the fuck is with Helen's dad who like doesn't acknowledge her while he's watching the baseball game? Yeah, yeah, to be fair though, right? The the sound was turned up and she was like yeah, no. I know. It was Did like, you... uh, I, I would say it louder, you know? <laughs> so, like, my children won't leave me alone. They'd be like, hey, Dad! Hey, Dad! And they would keep shouting until I was like, I'm trying to watch the game! So, yeah, it's fine. Uh, maybe that says more about me than it does. Yeah, um, you mentioning the killer, though, does bring up an interesting thing that's different between the movie and the book that I forgot to mention. Okay. This is really... It's the only thing the movie does right, basically. The book is set in probably New Mexico. It never says. Yeah, it's set yeah. in the Southwest somewhere. It never says what state, but it's almost certainly New Mexico. Um, that's where the author lived, so that's probably where it was set. Sure. Um, but they moved the action of the of the movie for no particular reason that I know of. Other than the cool aesthetic. Right. To North Carolina, to this like fishing town that has five people in it, whatever. But, like, that aesthetic is basically the only thing that salvages the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, no, and it's pretty cool. Uh, I, and I, I do not 
I do not uh, doubt that is the so, best part of this. So that that was definitely a good call moving it moving it to. Now, uh, we're really dropping the ball because we've discussed this movie in great depth, and we will tell you that the second movie is a thousand times better, uh, and actually that's is... That's probably an exaggeration, but it is better. No, I mean, it's pretty, like, this movie, uh, compared to the second one, I think the second one's pretty good. You're but wrong. But... the second movie has the best monster, and if we go to the next slide, uh, we will get to explore it. <laughs> Did you actually embed a video? I did. I hope it plays. I hope it plays. What is he doing? That, uh, for our listening audience, uh, hopefully we won't get uh, a takedown notice because, uh, <laughs> That is Jack Black. Please don't make us watch it again, Andrew. Uh, that is Jack Black. Uh, I don't like doing in, a in white guy dreads. Yes, doing white guy dreads. Something doing like uh, a Rastafarian. I don't know. It's it's so, so my my favorite my favorite oh. review of um, I still know what you did last summer on Letterboxd was from Trevor Henderson, which he just said that like the person I watched this with shrieked what is that when jack black showed up like he was a horror movie monster yeah uh he's great uh so yeah hey you've bared with us through all of this jello conversation so uh if you have uh the remaining number then you win you get a vhs if i still know what you did last summer Speaking oh yeah of, so you can watch hey. that for yourself your own private jack black um, lovely and then a blurry of new pet cemetery i think yeah 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 yeah, yeah. bloodlines yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that uh, that new pet cemetery is. Um, it's a movie. I yeah, seen it. it is. Uh, it is better than I know what you did last summer. I can say that truthfully. <laughs> That's rough. So uh, now we move on to four corners movies that we would recommend if you were a big, uh, <laughs> if you were a big I know what you did last summer fan. Then I recommend the way more humorous and the way more fun. Although I say that having not seen it in 20 right. years, so it could be also I awful. It, I recollect it also being awful. Uh, okay, excellent. Uh, yeah, it's got the same kind of general cast of old teens, young twenties. Um, it's got baby Jared Leto in it. Oh, it does. Right. Yeah. yeah. What a weird, weird uh, like story that is. But <laughs> uh, and then my second film. Uh, is a really great slasher that I think more people need to see. Um, pretty fun uh, and relatively uh, lighthearted in terms of like not it's not dour, right? Like sure. it's kind of fun to watch. Uh, is Lover's Lane? Which, I've never actually seen that one. So. Oh, it's great! Yeah, it's super I, fun. I don't trust you completely. Right nah, now, but. you know what? That is okay. <laughs> I've earned that distrust. <laughs> It'll take me a long time, Orin. I'm sorry I disappointed you. <laughs> tell, tell me, what do you recommend? Uh, so I first picked Scream 2 just for its kind of connection to this sort of, you know, moment in history that this was happening. Also, you know, it's way better. 
Um, but like it feels more of a piece with this one than the first Scream does for some reason that I can't put my finger on. Maybe just because the two colleges look sim- similar. I don't know. Oh, I buy that. Okay. <laughs> sure. Um, and then I like waffled on what the other one was going to be for a long time, and I finally picked the incredibly shitty 2005 remake of The Fog. <laughs> Because it's actually worse than I Know What You Did Last Summer by considerable margin. Oh, man. It's um, time for me to revisit that one. And, uh, we'll schedule and it for next year. Don't they, worry. They both take place in a, in a weird, like, shitty little fishing village. Yeah. Um, so it has that same vibe. Also, like, all the actors are, like, pretty people from TV shows. Yeah. <laughs> Which seem to be... I mean, here's the thing. It's not just that we hate uh, that, right? Because... That description is uh, House of Wax, right. which we love. Yeah. Uh, pretty kids doing dumb things, oh, getting I, murdered. Yeah, right? I, I love shitty, uh, you know, early 2000s, late 90s slasher movies. Not so much this one, but I love yeah. a bunch of them. I watched all three of these, so I obviously don't hate them too much. That is, uh, <laughs> and as a result, I was... Uh, uh, not forced. I felt obligated to watch them, and I will tell you, they all got more interesting to watch. Yeah. I don't know if they got better, but yeah. So, uh, what do we have prepared next month? So, next month we will be jumping way back in time to show, I think possibly the oldest movie we've ever shown, uh, Mad Love from 1935. Wow. Question mark. Um, which uh, is you know for for. Valentine's Day, obviously, but it's great. Um, it's got Peter Lorre in his first uh, English-speaking role um, and is delightful. It's also 68 minutes long, so you yeah. can't go too far wrong. I love it. <laughs> Plenty of time to talk about how uh, Mad Love is a proto-Jello. Sure. I'm, just, I'm teasing. Uh, I promise. Uh, honestly, it's not the worst <laughs> argument. But... Oh, no! <laughs> oh, no. Uh, another 27 slides of Jello coming to you next month in what we will call the uh, Horror Pod Class Jello show from now on. Yeah. But uh, final slide, where can they find more of your stuff on the internet, Oren? Uh, I am Oren Gray, all the all the places I don't even know anymore. Um I changed it to X. Yeah, you I are, know you, you are or and gray on X. I, yeah, I'm on Letterboxd. That's a fun place to follow me where I post about movies I watch. Um, you know, you can also find me on, on all the various social medias and um, at orangray.com. Yeah, uh, you can follow me uh, at Letterboxd. I'm also on Threads because uh, uh, I can't. I can't do X anymore, bro. Uh, right. I'm out. I gotta I wash my hands of it. It's uh, too big of a mess. I mean, so. I'm, I'm I, I don't know if I'm doing anything. I'm just sort of holding a place there, <laughs> I guess. But well, speaking of uh, just holding a place there, that's exactly <laughs> what I know. What you did last summer did in 1997. <laughs> what a wonderful way to end tonight's episode. Uh, last Thank you guys for sticking around for that. <laughs> <laughs>